Before he ever stepped foot on the 40 acres, he was already a West Texas legend, leading Midland Lee to three consecutive state championships, setting the 5A state rushing record and scoring 15 touchdowns in three straight championship games. When he finally put on a burnt orange uniform, fans were clamoring to see him carry the ball. One of the early personnel controversies in Mac Brown's coaching career was not playing Cedric Benson against Oklahoma in a game they narrowly lost. In the next five games, he went over 1,000 yards, finishing off his first of four 1,000-yard rushing seasons. His 5,500 rushing yards to this day is number 10 all-time. He's the only player with all four of his seasons at the University of Texas on the top 25 all-time rushing list. His 1,112 carries is a record that will stand the test of time. Drafted number four by the Chicago Bears before signing with the Cincinnati Bengals and having 3,000-yard rushing seasons and playing in a Super Bowl. Horns up for a Longhorn legend. A moment of silence for Cedric Benson. Benson deep in the backfield on third down and 10 from their own 20-yard line. Hand is going to fake. Give it off to Benson across the 25. Goes to the 35-40. He may go all the way to the 50. He's at the Rebel 40. He's at the 35-30. He's going all the way. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10, the 5. And Benson scores for Midland Lee. It's an 80-yard touchdown run. And that's what we've heard about this guy. And he just did it. God didn't give me the full potential of Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. Um, those guys could play both professional football and baseball. Um, but I had realized my limits. I remember like it was yesterday, I sat across a long table from the farm team managers and down there in Vero Beach, Florida when I was playing with the Dodgers one summer and I told those guys, I could either be good at two sports or I could be great at one. And of course something's burning inside me to be great at one, which is why I sit in front of these guys and told them, and I said, for me, that one sport is football. Two tight ends, and they're going to give it to Benson. Cuts back against the green. Gets a block. Touchdown, Cedric Benson. Cedric hurt his knee the first play of the game. So he, uh, he strained his, his uh, tendons in his knee. The doctor said, you're a first-round draft choice. Don't play anymore. And he said, tape it up. I'm going to play. Uh, he went back in the game. He played the whole game. Uh, after the game, I see him uh, sitting over in the corner crying and, and I said is it your knee and he said no coach this is the last time I'll ever wear a Texas football uniform someone once said when you get to the top stay there and be sure others join you I want others to join me here I want to see the future generations have the same chance to learn what I did here at the University of Texas I want them to have the same opportunities that you and I have today Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Well, my name is Gerald Gitterich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a tough couple of days, man. How are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's been a lot going on for the Longhorn Nation. Um, you know, good, sad. Um, anticipatory. We have football around the corner. Remember, uh, every year a new season comes. All the all the uh, off season toughness washes away in the cathedral and sanctuary of the gridiron. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a Longhorn legend today, but um, I do hope we get a chance to um, kind of focus as well on the optimism for the for the upcoming season, which is right around the corner. So I'm kind of in a 
in between two minds and in, in looking backward and, and being reverent, but also kind of looking forward and, and, and being excited. So I, I think a, a, a healthy duality going on inside. How are you, G? Yeah, I'm about the, um, I'm about the same. I think the, the, the excitement for the new season has been, has been a good distraction. I think from the, from the emotions I'm feeling from this, uh, I was, I was on campus with, with, uh, during the Cedric Benson time, I was at one of the games that we'll mention is one of his all-time greats. But uh, it's been it's been a rough it's been a rough day. I'm going to be honest with you. But we're here. We're going to talk talk about Cedric Benson, his legacy. We got some replies of Texas from from you all, our listeners on Twitter. We're going to share those because not everybody has a platform like this to share their memories. But I think everybody has memories, and we want to give them an opportunity to do so. And then because some of the memories we got were, were memories shared of football and, and the things that he meant to people. So we're gonna we're gonna keep moving on and we're going to talk Texas football this week uh, it's it's the last week of preseason Kyle so we're uh, we're really excited for that and then we'll we'll close the show out like we always do with some bang the drum uh, so over the weekend uh, late Saturday night early Sunday morning uh, there was a there was a motorcycle accident in Austin early Sunday morning uh, rumors started to circulate that uh, Texas running back Cedric Benson was one of the passengers on the motorcycle family and coaches and, and players confirmed that later on throughout the morning. It was kind of a whirlwind. But the thing I want to focus on, I think today, Kyle, and you and I are in agreement, is Cedric kind of feels like the lost legend hmm. among Texas running backs for me. Um, everybody seems to skip straight from Ricky to Jamal Charles because I think you got you know Earl for the for the people our parents age. You've got Ricky for like the Gen Xers, and then Cedric kind of gets washed over a little bit. People jump straight. Uh, the people our age and younger seem to latch on to Jamal, and and Cedric gets it gets skipped over in a lot of conversations. But he's a he's a legend. Like there's no two ways around it. So uh, we talked about it in the cold open. Was a legend coming to campus. Uh, was a legend in his four years on campus. Uh, one of the toughest guys you'll ever see, man. Kyle, I want to talk about like, what's your, what defines like Cedric Benson, the player for you? I mean, I'm a Texas guy. I'm a Texas high school football guy. Um, I'm obviously a, a university of Texas guy. I mean, I think he's almost the perfect embodiment. Ricky Williams, obviously kind of the patron saint of running backs for our age and, and slightly older kind of in that realm. Um, like you said, they had their Earl Campbell and then there was um, some good players, but not really the dominant otherworldly, um, at least consistently players that, that you saw that, you know, Heisman winners and that type of um, running back. So Ricky kind of was that next thing. And then it all happened really, really quickly. Like you said, to go from Ricky a uh, little, I think a little gap of like a year there. And then Cedric um, straight into Jamal Charles. Like, so you just had um, a pipeline, right? But um, for me, Ricky was this otherworldly thing. He's a kid from California. I kind of knew just about him as an entity. I knew he was really good. When I watched Cedric, I was a little bit older of the age where I was really watching high school football. So at the same time, I was watching, um, kind of hearing about uh, Midland and, and knowing the uh, you know the, the the Permian Basin, the Odessa Permian Midland Lee kind of rivalry. Hearing it passed down from my brother and from from older kind of high school football heads and people around. And you know back then you kind of had to find the papers to find box. It was just a different time. There was this kid, uh, this running back who everyone talked about who was incredible. Um, the only other comparable high school player I can really think of is was Adrian Peterson. Um, but but Cedric Benson was was the best player in the country. He was a running back out in West Texas. Um, and and every story you heard of him during that time was you know if 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 he could he would be 
you know, stopping and, and doing his math homework on the way to, to rushing for 500 yards. It just came that easy to him. Um, he was utterly unstoppable in another level. So when he got to Texas and to kind of watch, um, again, from Ricky as a great player to Cedric, as I understand the game a little bit better and I'm more in a maturation phase, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, not... I think I was young and was Ricky. I was probably 10. Um, so I'm a little bit older where I can really understand and process the game a little bit more. So Cedric was the first just unstoppable college great uh, running back I saw. And so a lot of when I think of, of you know, if I close my eyes and just picture it when I think of a dreadlocked Texas running back, there are times sometimes when Cedric Benson is the first one that pops into my mind. I think the fact that he's uh, he's been forgotten and knocked off any of those lists is, is, is certainly a disservice and a tragedy. And hopefully just in taking this moment to kind of really dig in, your whole new generation is exposed to him and you can find that silver lining in a tragedy that um, a guy who, you know, when he finished was the sixth all-time rusher in college football um, with his 5,540 uh, career yards, just an absolute, I mean, I remember Ron Dane. I like, these are the guys I remember from that era, whether you're a Texas football fan or not, he was a legend. He was a legend that kids in California knew about, you know, running backs in New Jersey knew about people down in, you know, Florida and Georgia heard about everyone knew who Cedric Benson was. Everyone knew how good he was. He was a transcendent talent. Again, he, he shared a backfield with a, a young Vincent uh, young, which probably helps with that slightly getting overshadowed because what a, all-time figure he proved to be and and i've i've made the hot take i believe on this podcast um that although the the championship rose bowl washes over me with all of the emotions um just where i was in in that moment that the the michigan rose bowl may secretly kind of be my i don't know if i want to say my favorite game over that but real close a 1a and 1b it's i put him in in literally the, the the same veneration so uh Benson was there for the first unfortunately not for the second so the national title gives a bump but um just a, a, an unbelievable player who really catalyzed Mac Brown um Mac Brown kind of the everything that came later showed that his guy he could get coach him up get him on campus start him and, and kind of take him all the way through uh I, I don't think had Cedric Benson not been there, that Mac Brown wouldn't have found success, but I think he was kind of the the, the workhorse, obviously still leading the, the school history and all time in, in carries. He was literally the workhorse that carried Mac to his own legend status. So a lot of careers, a lot of records, a lot of Texas mythos and even pathos in, in this century were built on the back of Cedric Benson and his legacy. Yeah, and I think as, as much as I love Ricky Williams, because I'm – I'm not just a Texas fan. I'm also a Miami Dolphins fan, and Ricky kind of revitalized that franchise for a big chunk in there. Uh, Cedric Benson was like the Texas guy. Mm. When you think of like the phrase Texas tough, uh, and then seeing Cedric Benson run back out on the field with a sprained knee mm. uh, in that Rose Bowl, I, I will never forget Keith Jackson. Well, whatever is uh, whatever was going on with his knee, Cedric Benson looks like the tank is full because he goes out of the game first play comes back and then two plays later goes for like eight yards and a and kind of a, a tempo setting first down and then a few plays later Vince goes off the right side and and does the famous Vince in the Rose Bowl stick the arm out in front to score deal and like I the I remember the weirdest things about Cedric Benson because I was I was there at the game um, the first uh, comeback mm. where <laughs> um, you know everybody talks about the Vince Young pump fake but people seem to forget about Cedric Benson's five freaking touchdowns in that game. Yep. Um, the guy was just a workhorse. Um, 
I I, re- I literally remember I was there with our with a friend of ours from high school, Jake, and we're both like, ah, we may leave at halftime because this is bad. But then I think I convinced him not to go, um, and and we saw one of the greatest comebacks in school history. Um, but I think one of my one of my most random memories and one of the things that I like I love the most is that there are all these weird stories. There are all these weird stories about people seeing him at the Denny's across the highway from <laughs> campus. And I, I got to experience that. Our, our friend Mario, who definitely doesn't listen to this podcast because he's a dirty ag, um, got to experience it too. But, like, just seeing him be a regular guy, be a student, like, that was always cool. Um, and just the fact that, like, I got to be there for greatness is super cool. And, and um, like, for me, like, that, like, he's my Texas running back. Mm-hmm. Like, that will be forever – like again, Ricky. Ricky was the guy before him, and um, I was in the in the media when Jamal kind of blew up. So I didn't really get to be as big of a fan as I wanted to. So like Cedric is my Texas running back, and and I'm I'm still super super salty that he didn't get a trip to New York out of his senior season. I'm still super mad about that. And if Texas beats OU that year. I think he's in New York rather than Peterson. Yep. That's the his worst game of the year, which, again, I'm begging for a running back to get 95 yards um, nowadays. And so if he doesn't have – because what OU did that year is what Arkansas tried to do a few weeks earlier is stack everybody in the box and make Vince Young pass to beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, and OU just had a better defense than Arkansas, and, and Vince did Vince things and – had a couple of nice little dump offs to Cedric in that Arkansas game. I literally, uh, weirdly enough, that was on Longhorn Network on Saturday. I got to watch that. That to me is like the the thing that that is like the biggest uh, frustration of his career is like that one game. I think shapes his legacy because he was that that team never he ne- was never able to beat OU. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of book ended his two biggest disappointments of his career is not playing his freshman year and the 92 yard performance. I think his senior year. So like that, I think that is one of the things that gives him that weird legacy uh, that I think is completely undeserved because his senior year, he also averaged a buck 52 a game, which is just ridiculous. Oh yeah. I mean, to finish sixth in the Heisman between, you know, the, the, the USC at peak media hype, I mean, Leinert had an incredible year, but Reggie Bush certainly did not have anywhere near the year that, that Benson did uh, and finished in fifth. And then you had Adrian Peterson who lost the Doak Walker, but finished ahead of him in the Heisman. And then you got Jason White, which, you know, still is funny. He was a good college quarterback, even with those very, very, very large Jinkos. But, uh, but no, he, you know, was the reigning Heisman. So he gets bumped in there, even though he didn't have an incredible year the next year. Very good, obviously made it to a national championship game. But, um, you know, you, you look at the guys in front of him, it's USC and and OU. If they beat OU, he probably leaves. But anyways, that's that's not important to think about what didn't happen because you can just rattle off the list of the things he did do that, you know, you don't need to justify a legacy. It just is averaging 152 yards in that senior season, like you said, despite that one. Um, 2,500 yard uh, rushing games in his career. That's That's awesome i would take you know one season where we had uh, we had seven as a team you know truly at this point but uh you know just just from start to finish being the greatest freshman running back of all time putting together the greatest sophomore season having a a 
Heisman conversation, you know, to, to, to cap it off. Um, and ultimately just kind of wrapping it up uh, over a thousand carries, 64 touchdowns, 5,540 career yards over five yards, uh, a clip, um, still today, the 10th most in, in college football history where he stands. So, I mean, just probably records that won't be touched. Just the fact the four year starter, the, the carries record. Um, and, and I don't know that anyone's going to, going to necessarily clip him in the, the rushing record from UT either. I'd love for, to see that, that level of talent, but, uh, you know, just, just a guy who then went on and we haven't even talked about an NFL career. Um, the number four pick in the NFL draft played for the Bengals, played for the bears, put up multiple thousand yard seasons. Um, you know, uh, just from high school being a star, Obviously a star at UT, maybe the NFL career didn't match exactly to that, to where he's, you know, going in the Hall of Fame at that level. But I think an argument certainly could be made with if uh, the college football Hall of Fame has an induction class coming up that, that Benson would have a place in there and not not look uh, terribly out of place. So um, just an, an all time Longhorn legend. And, and, and the great thing was seeing all of the stories about not just a football player, but the nice guy. He was the, you know, I mean, I, I'm a baseball guy. So seeing some of the people on the baseball side talk about him from his time in the Dodgers organization, that's right. He's good enough to do both, remember. Um, but, you know, just that he could do it all. He was that good. Um, and then he also was what seemingly all accounts that good of a human, just a, a grounded, humbled, regular guy, despite having more talent in his pinky than, than most of us will ever sniff in our entire lives. So um, just the, the, the true well-rounded Longhorn um, and, and truly just kind of restates how much of a tragedy it is that he had another 30 plus years of, of good living of just, you know, contributing more than just sports, but to, the overall community and to the people's uh, lives who he was, they were lucky enough to have him in it. So um, truly, you know, prayers and, and, and deepest sentiments for all those who, who had a personal relationship with him um, and, and knew Cedric beyond just the, the Longhorn football player. Cause it sounds like um, he was a winner both on and off the field. Absolutely. And so we want to give uh, you guys the opportunity to, to share some of your stories. So we asked you on Twitter uh, using the hashtag replies of Texas, uh, so Dylan, uh, at Farnsworth Dill, uh, talks about him, Cedric Benson from his high school days. I first became aware of Cedric when he was a sophomore in high school. He destroyed my school in the state championship with five touchdowns. Uh, Dylan, you're not the only one, uh, two more teams experienced that, but that's like, that's that like West Texas legend we talked about, like, and you mentioned it. That was back in the day where, like, you had to, like, try to get a new... There wasn't rivals. There wasn't 24-7. It was just like, okay, there's this kid everybody's talking about from Midland Lee. Um, and we were we were 4A at the time, Kyle. So we didn't... We were thankfully did not have to play um, <laughs> against the likes of Midland Lee. Um, but, but those... <laughs> you, you'd hear those things, and, and we were on the front end of, like, the rivals generation. Um, both ben, ben Heinem and Eric Highland both talked about... Uh, the the November sixth game, the one I was at, where Texas was down twenty eight points, um, and Texas ended up winning by twenty one. Uh, that's actually the audio that's that's it that was in the cold open this week um, was was Cedric's longest touchdown in that game, uh, which I think brought Texas within two scores right right after halftime. Um, Longhorn for life kind of had the experience you had, Kyle. Um, I didn't get to see much of Ricky's career at Texas. So Cedric being such a Ricky fan with his look and style, uh, style of play helped me, uh, get an in the moment sense of how Ricky was as a player. And that's the thing. A lot of people 
like forget about was like Ricky was was his idol and he wanted to be like Ricky. He, he grew the dreads because of Ricky and he played a lot like Ricky and he was able to replicate a lot of what Ricky Williams did. Uh, he didn't have to be as much of a workhorse as Ricky because there were other great players on the team. Uh, but that was that was a lot uh, something that not a lot of people talk about. It, anytime you see a running back with dreadlocks, you can trace it back to Cedric Benson and Ricky Williams. Uh, and then finally, Josh Ku- uh, Kubler. My favorite memory was not on the field. He came into my work several years ago, and I was able to tell him that he was my grandmother's favorite player, even dating back to high school. She had passed away just a few weeks prior to that. That's what sports mean to people. Mm-hmm. It's not about what goes on inside the chalk lines. It's about making memories with families and, and having those touchstones, being able to, to share memories of special people. And that's why athletes and athletics are important. Uh, and that's why they'll continue to be important for years and years to come. And in, 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 I'm so glad you ended it on a, on a high note. The one memory, I wasn't sure if we had a, a memory added in there. I wanted to add in was I did get a text from uh, a, a colleague at work who, who is an Aggie. And he, he said the same thing. He was at uh, A&M in 03, uh, was at, uh, at Kyle Field when um, Cedric Benson came in. And um, he rushed for uh, a couple times, 35 times, um, at eight yards a carry for 283 yards and four touchdowns. Um, it stung. It stung him to concede that. But even with that level of utter... Um, humiliation, annihilation, um, and, and desolation. Um, there was respect. He said, "You know, respect to the to the guy, an unbelievable player, and and you know, sorry for the the the, the loss to the program." So, even when Cedric Benson did you did you bad, uh, that's true greatness. When you're left feeling like you know what, respect that guy. So we are eleven days away from football. From Texas football. We're only a few days away from football, but we're 11 days away from Texas football. Uh, Kyle, I'm getting excited. I, I feel like I'm too excited, but um, we'll, we'll have to temper those expectations, even though the Associated Press has done me no favors. <laughs> uh, Monday it was released that Texas is the number 10 in the AP preseason top ten, 25. The first time they've been in the top 10 since the 2010 season. It's a big deal. Big expectations. Wow, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to unpack. I don't know where to start. Where do you, where do you want to start, Kyle? Here, Here's what I'm going to say. Um, you're right. There are big expectations. There are a lot of eyes on the Texas program. Be, if this was 10 years ago, we revel in that. There is a little bit of nervous... Um, anxiety that tempers our optimism and and makes it that cautious optimism. But I think when you dig down and you look at this team, it's probably justified. So I'm going to give my briefest of preambles, Gerald. This is year three. This is when you separate the Herman from the Herboys. That's right. Tom Herman, this transitions from what Herman got 
to what Herman brought. This is year three. These are his guys. There are still some players, of course, from the strong era. But year three really is when you see, and, and due to the fact we're playing younger players uh, both last year and this year, this is when you really see the type of players that Herman thinks, this is my system, this is what thrives. Orlando thinks, this is what I like to run, this is the type of guy. We're starting to see that in place, and you get a quarterback that's returning that's at the top of his game. You get uh, a few key weapons that are literally all conference if not all american caliber there are some absolute studs on this team and so a top 10 might make you feel a little bit queasy but if you dig down into the numbers there is there is uh there is reason reason to be optimistic and i'll start with saying this i love the smp plus uh bill Connolly did for sb nation um has for the wally's taking that to espn now but um if you look at it kind of this decade right since 2009, which it really has been a bit bleak up to this point, Texas's average S&P plus offense and defense combined is 66. Uh, their, their record in there, there's some five and sevens. There's three of those. There's a six and seven. Uh, you know, there's, there's only one with double digits, and that was last year. Um, from 2017, when Herman got there, to last year, they advanced a whopping 72 places in the S&P plus. And, and, and they didn't do that just via big plays. We, that's been well documented that that wasn't happening. It was just good offense. Sometimes boringly efficient offense. Their longest pass, as it's been noted, was 48 yards. Their longest rush was 39 yards. Their longest return on kickoffs was 29 yards. None of those things say, hey, that's not sustainable. They all say, hey, there's good enough athletes that those are probably all going to get better. What they did it on was time of possession third down conversions, being effective in the red zone, and not turning the ball over. The only teams in the country that had less turnovers than the University of Texas last year were Army and Georgia Southerns. They are triple option teams that obviously um, you know, aren't throwing the ball, and you have running backs who just cover it up as they go through the hole. Um, the, the chances for that is literally, the as Daryl Royal would tell you, the, the least likely uh, scenario for turnovers to occur. Texas being a team that, that threw uh, as many times as they did, um, that had you know kind of a shoestring offensive line and running back looking in week one and turned it into that, means they knew what they had, they optimized around it, and they went out and, and found success. Obviously, like we said, 10 wins for the first time uh, in, in, in this decade. Uh, on the back of that, I have no doubt that that confidence that I'm feeling comes from the fact that there is equal talent at the beginning of the season as there was to last year. There may not be as many games returning, but the talent is there and the coaching talent has proven itself. And so there, it's going to look different this year. There's going to be some things on the offensive side. We'll dive into that on the defensive side that are going to be different. Um but it's going to match the strengths of what we have. And, and and where this team is good, they are very good. Where they are not good, we are going to see how they can minimize and mitigate their weakest points and overcome them with strengths. And if they can do that effectively, then, then the sky is honestly the limit for where this season can go. The question for me for Texas is really like they rise and fall with Sam Ellinger. And I think we'll, mm. we'll talk there. Uh, and we'll start there. Guys, I think the, the question is, was Sam Ellinger's efficiency last year the high point for his ability, or is that the norm for his ability? Because I think that's the conversation we have to have. Um, 
according to uh, Pro Football Focus, they did some analytics on on him, and he had when he was when he was able to stay clean. So you know, clean pocket, all of that. Uh, he led the Big 12 in, in passer rating with 113 and a half. He set the NCAA, I believe, record for uh, attempts without an interception, which is incredible. So, like, I think the question that, that we have to talk about is, is that is that the the standard? Is that the is that the median for Sam Ellinger or is that like the top of what Sam Ellinger can do? Well, hold on, Gerald. That doesn't fit my narrative that Sam Ellinger is an overrated passer who's really just a glorified tight end. Were there any other good quarterbacks in the Big 12 last year when you say that he had the highest passer rating of a quarterback in the pocket standing there throwing without being hit? Were there any other good quarterbacks? Or did multiple of them get drafted and are now on NFL rosters? Oh, that's correct. Kyler Murray, etc. You can have your uh, Will Greers, whatever, whatever. Sam Hellinger was the best of the bunch. So um, as you know, our, our friend Albie Shore came on and, and touted uh, Alan Bowman and, and all these you know quarterbacks of, of mid-tier teams. Um, <laughs> Sam Hellinger is obviously the best runner of those. It's, it's a little bit frightening for those teams when you think about the fact that he's also the best passer if you just give him a good pocket and we'll talk about the offensive line there is optimism that that can happen a lot this year some of the schemes that they're doing and some of the kind of um, depth and diversity of, of receiving threats that they have so that should be a point that there is no cautious that's just pure optimism I think I don't think he's going to change and he's going to have 6,000 yards this year I think he is who he is I think he will get incrementally better Right, He will do the things he did. He will do them well. He'll add a little bit on. He'll be a little bit more efficient. His completion numbers will peak a little bit. He'll maybe hit some more of the downfield throws. There's things that we've talked about on this podcast before at length that he will do better and he can do better. And that's where I think you'll see it. It's not a transformation of him as a quarterback. Just the fact, hopefully, that he's not running 15 times a game unless, again, against a Georgia defense, that was the best play. If it's a big game, I would expect him... To have 15 to 18 carries against an LSU-type team, I would expect him to have three against a Rice-type team. I think there is a difference in the opponent and in the need. Let's save those big Sam plays for the big-time moment. You talked about the accuracy. I think the downfield accuracy, if that's the thing he can add to his game, then then there's no real ceiling to what you can expect from him because as the guy who wrote the story that's on BON right now about Texas needing to improve in big plays. That was me. My name is attached to it. If he hits Devin Duver and doesn't overthrow one of the fastest guys on the team, if he doesn't miss his tight end running the tight end wheel route, mm-hmm. that was open every stinking time they called it. Like Texas has some explosive plays. Um, they were fingertips away. And so as a, as a junior, as the guy the full-time guy again who's been listening all offseason about how he's a poor man's Tim Tebow, about how he's just a, a, a tight end uh, with, a, with a little bit of an arm. He's been listening to all of this stuff, and people forget who his freaking offensive coaches are. Mm-hmm. Tom Herman is a molder of quarterbacks. We complain a lot about Tim Beck, but Tim Beck has some quarterbacks playing in the National Football League. Like, we forget these things. And as good as that guy up I-35 is at coaching up quarterbacks, 
Tom Herman and Tim Beck are also pretty good at coaching up quarterbacks. So I'm I'm curious to see because we saw development from Ellinger as a passer from freshman year concussed Sam Ellinger mm-hmm. to poised in the pocket, not abandoning the pass as quickly sophomore Sam Ellinger. So like if he has another incremental increase like he did from year to year, we're looking at a high ceiling. I was gonna say, so I think his his success, at least for me, and we talked about the clean passer rating. I think that that's where we have to move to is the offensive line that's getting a pretty big retool. Now, I'm not saying reload. I'm not saying re- it's just a retool because a lot of the guys on that line are experienced guys. You've got uh, grad transfers coming in that were three year starters and all conference starters. You got a guy uh, moving from from right to left that was an all conference player. Um, you've got Shackelford, who's shaping up to be one of the best centers in the country, probably an NFL draft pick when it's all said and done. So you've got guys that have experience, but the the alchemy of the offensive line, I think, is going to be new just because you've got you've got a new guy coming up in Angelau who um, has got the Texas DNA, though, I think, and he's got the uh, the chops to be a four year starter. But there's going to be some uh, I think that. It's good that LSU is week two and that other Louisiana school is week one. So this line group can figure out uh, how to play together against people wearing other colors. Yeah. And and, I mean, you look at that line, you said, if you give me, you take names out and you give me descriptions and you have me build uh, coach Zajac, who's, who's, you know, knows offensive lines like the back of his hand, has a secret other passion. He plays fantasy, fantasy baseball, and that's a baseball league where you play a fantasy league with fake players that are computer-generated stats. It's super duper nerdy but the thing that it does it makes you take the emotion out of ooh, i really want nomar garcia par you know obviously dating myself here but on my team even though when he's past his prime whatever you're taking that emotion out because it's a computer generated player you take that give me that approach to an offensive line and you tell me hey there's some there's some flux you have a coach who's a tinkerer you have a coach who cross trains and wants the best guys out there what is it that you want to set your cornerstones and pillars on i tell you i want a left tackle who's very good, who can play at any school in the country. I want a center who's a leader, is proven, has experience that you can build these things around. And then give me a guy who can play all five positions really well. You have Cosme, you have Shaq, and you have Kerstetter. What other combination, whatever combination around that happens, whether, again, Angelau really makes the leap and holds Parker Braun back as he kind of develops some of that passing, whether Okafor makes the step up at right tackle, I don't... particularly care where it starts I think there is a baseline talent level and those anchor points that make this a really good line I mean Tom Herman said there's uh he, he gave the the starters as Cosme Angelou uh Shackelford Kirchstetter Okafor Braun is the sixth and said there's six that they trust right now all indications say that there's some guys making a push those those red shirt freshmen last year and Reese Moore and Christian Jones um big old 700 pound taupe uh, Imade just uh, <laughs> looks, I mean, he, he honestly is a cheat code. It looks like he got two linemen wherever he lines up. You know, um, there's a lot of guys who could make that maybe nine. Um, and you know how much Herb Hand would like to have nine guys that he trusts and the types of tinkering and switching and pulling and, and, you know, just stunning that he can do if he has that type of flexibility. Um, that's fantastic. You also have depth where you're not putting true freshmen, and we've talked many times about this. I mean, I, I, I do think 
Braun obviously is going to bring kind of a Vahe skill set of of a masher in the run game who's going to be aggressive. You have to see where he passes. Okafor similarly also, we know he's a great run blocker, kind of curious to see where pass pro comes. Um, we If we can get a neutral from both of those in pass pro, I think the rest of the line, it shakes out that it's going to be good. If you get anything more than that, then you have a chance that this is great and could be the best unit in the Big 12. Kyler Murray won a Heisman last year because he's electric and amazing, but also because he had the best offensive line in the country without a doubt last year. Four of those dudes are gone now. Why can't Texas take the mantle and have the best Big 12 offensive line, have one of the top you know, handful of offensive lines in the country? The talent's there. What last year Texas was able to do, and we talked about it, they were able to redshirt an entire freshman class. And so a guy like Rafidi Gramai or Junior Angelau, Reese Moore even, who would have been pressed into service a couple of years ago, got to take another year and grow into their grown man body. Cause there's a difference between being 19 and being 20 or 21. Right. So like those are guys who can take a year to develop. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about that is you'll get to redshirt another entire class of offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the depth that they have right now is self perpetuating depth. Like they'll get to, they'll get to redshirt a guy like hook Finn, a guy like Tyler Johnson, Javon Shepard, um, you know, so those types of guys who won't have to be pressed into service, hopefully they'll get some reps against uh, Louisiana Tech and Rice with that four-game redshirt rule. Right. Uh, love to see them get a couple of game reps um, if Texas is able to do that against those. And maybe even against LSU because we've seen what Texas can do against SEC teams. Uh, <laughs> hashtag Georgia wasn't that close. Uh, so, like, I, I really think that that top-end group, like Sam Cosme as the cornerstone – uh, Shackelford as the centerpiece, uh, Kerstetter and Okafor, like that that unit to me, if they play up again to the level of talent that they have and they're able to gel quickly, they're able to figure out, um, you know, those things that, and if you go back a couple of years, we had a really good interview uh, with Coach Zajacek about offensive linemen and kind of what went wrong with Texas two years ago. But if they could figure out the hand placement, they could figure out the foot placement, they can figure out the trust with the guy in the trenches next to you, if they can figure it out early, then I think this offensive line group has a chance to not just be special, but be special as a unit for at least two seasons. I have a choose-your-own-adventure story, Gerald. What do you like most, consistency or demonstrated excellence? Pick out of those two just to start us off. Uh, I'm a consistency kind of guy. All right. Well, Sam. Why buy Nissans? <laughs> That's, I like that. Uh, <laughs> Sam Cosme can, can get you there with consistency. Um, Sam Cosme last year logged the third most snaps among any returning player coming back in the country this season, the most in the Big 12. Again, this is a kid who was a freshman, who got in there, who, you know, played a tough a tough spot, was forced into action in one of the most obviously physically demanding positions. You're in the line. You're a grader. And he played, again, as, as players returning this year, he's bringing back the third most snaps in the country. So, cornerstone. I will now give you demonstrated excellence. Um, your boy, you love him. You said he could be a draft pick. This is the reason why our our captain of captain, Mr. Shackelford, didn't allow a single sack and only one quarterback hit on Texas's 440 pass blocking snaps last year. That's amazing. 
That's a dude who's not only reading, calling, doing the things pre-snap that a center does, getting the snaps back to to Ellinger in there, but then doing the work of the pass pro to keep his quarterback shirt clean. Like that's those two stats right there tell me why this unit can be elite. Yeah, and and I think it has the opportunity to be an elite unit and continue to perpetuate talent because newsflash 2019 they're going to redshirt all those guys yep. 2020's got some dudes in it as well yep. that will get redshirted and 2021 <laughs> uh do do like do we need to say anything more than the Brockermeyer twins like is there another is there another thing we need to say there or does that kind of sum up uh the feeling there so i think the other the other thing we have to talk about uh, to give this offense success is the running back position uh, that was had flashes of brilliance last year, but was never able to consistently produce. And Sam Ellinger once again was the leading rusher in too many contests. Um, so Keontae Ingram was on a pitch count last year. Uh, there was a lot of tread on or traction, a lot of miles on those tires uh, heading into his freshman year. So they kind of put him on a pitch count. Um, he came away with an injury out of the first scrimmage, but Texas says he's on track to be ready for uh, the first start of the season. Jordan Whittington moves from, uh, I guess he was projected to be more of a wide receiver, moved to running back for depth purposes and the fact that he could play, I don't know, we'll probably call it six of the 11 spots on offense for Texas if he had to. I may not put him on the offensive line, but outside of that, I feel, I'd feel i feel confident with him in any of those positions. Was the first of the 2019 kids to lose. People call it a red stripe. That thing is very clearly pink. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> pink would be um, pink would be hazing, and if it's red stripe, you can say, hooray, beer, longhorns. <laughs> yeah, so I think consistency from the running back group and not just from the players, but I think from a schematic and coaching standpoint, because that's one of the reasons why Casey Thompson put his name in the transfer pool was the number of carries that were called quarterback carries last year from Sam Ellinger. So I think both from a play calling standpoint and from a performance standpoint, we need to see more out of that running back group. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. I mean, the, the, the stat that stood out to me is, um, do you know how many rushing touchdowns the, the Texas running backs, not quarterbacks accounted for last year? It was eight. Do you know? How uh, many- I, I cheated. Cause I looked, I, that's, I, I looked in the show notes. That's, so I can't. that's why I made it rhetorical and answered because I, I knew you'd seen it. Uh, <laughs> you know how many Sam Ellinger had? It's six twice that. Yeah, it's double. Um, so I mean that's great. Sam Ellinger showed what he could do on the goal line, but when you got guys the size of of a uh, we didn't even talk about him there, but Danny Young, when you have the you know the the quickness to get to the edge that Whittington has, when you have the slipperiness and again the 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 beefiness that that Ingram has shown from last year. Um, There's no reason that that shouldn't be double digits. There's no reason that that number shouldn't be in the 16 to 20 range, right? Like you should be able to rely on those guys down there though. I do love the quarterback um, kind of sweep and it is Ellinger's special. It it takes, you know, an extra blocker um, out uh, when, when he has the ball um, and and you can put a running back in there, excuse me, takes an extra defender out um, and you can have a running back blocking. I get that this, the sweep play was deadly, um, but there's no reason. And also maybe Ingram or Whittington breaks one and we score from 45 to 50 yards out. Right? Like, 
I want to see more touchdowns from this running back group. I want to see that the, the thing that I also I'm curious about is the pass pro. Like we we look at running backs and we grade them on how many yards per carry they get, how many yards, how many touchdowns. That's all those are good numbers. But to me, the 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 forgotten responsibility we just talked about the offensive line is how good a running back again chips does whatever needs to be to keep the quarterback shirt clean to give him that extra second to get a ball off to the talented group of receivers we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, and and Keontae Ingram did that last year. He, to, to you know, a variable success, as can be expected from a freshman forced into that position. Um, we talked about Whittington. You're, again, asking a guy who literally his whole career, he's the state MVP on offense and defense in the same game. Um has never been the guy not with the ball. The only time he's not with the ball is if a quarterback has the ball to give him the ball. If he's the running back and they hand it to him, which usually they just snap it directly to him. He is going to have to learn how to do the things that contribute to other people's success. And so that's why I think Danny Young actually sneaky has a role in here. He he may be kind of the, the, the blocking back in these two back sets. And we'll talk a little bit about the, the formations we think Texas might use here. But um, he is bigger, obviously, and can kind of play a – Big 12 version of a of a fullback role. He also was shown to be a good pass catcher. Don't forget the freshman year he had uh, uh, 143 yards on 13 catches and a couple TDs, including in that Missouri game, three catches for 64 yards and the big first score in the Texas Bowl um, when he started that game. Uh, he can he's probably our best pass protector as well out of the three. So I think all three of these guys have a role to play. But again, I want to see that pass pro step up from each of them. I'm going to challenge you on one thing. Um, I I don't know if Danny Young is the is the best pass catcher uh, of the three. Oh, that's no. And, and and please please don't don't drag me over the coals, um, mother of dragons. Um, no, I, I I would I would deserve it had I said that. I think he's probably the third best. I'm just saying. I think he. <laughs> He, it is not as though he is a net negative. He's shown some upside there in addition to being the best pra- pass protector. Please uh, please don't misquote me on that, dear internets. <laughs> now, so I think the two, the two things that, you're gonna, that we're going to miss from Trey Watson, which is just a weird thing to say, is pass protection and tough yardage, mm-hmm. which as the smallest running back on the roster last year, it's a weird thing to say about the guy. But he, w- he was the stick your nose in there, get the dirty yards, get the tough yards, and he wasn't afraid to block somebody. And I think yeah. that's what uh, made him like a fan favorite, at least on this podcast. And I think that's going to be what I need to see. Now, with that being said, we were praying all year for Texas to run a wheel route with him. And they finally did it in like the last three games of the season. And I think that play is three or four times more effective with a guy like Jordan Whittington, uh, who has shown some abilities to catch poorly thrown passes and can make guys miss in space, which not necessarily what Trey Watson showed last year. He had some of that in him. I think Texas needs to be, in spite of the the talent at wide receiver, I think Texas needs to be a run-first team with the running back because, you know, Chris, Chris Brown, the smart football guy, would be weeping right now if he heard me say this, but I think there's no better way to open up the pass game than a good play action. We saw it with Shane Bouchelle's freshman year, the reason why he was able to set freshman passing records was because of a strong play action game. And so I think that's what really needs to happen with Texas is you, if they're going to add RPOs, then they have to be able to do the R 
right? Like you need to be able to R in order to have an effective RPO. Uh, but the question that people have and the question that, that we'll probably lean into a little bit is how do you not throw the ball a thousand times a game with the talent that Texas has at wide receiver? How do you give the ball to the running back when you've got three or four guys that would start at most of the schools in the conference? So we know what Colin Johnson brings to the table. Uh, he was basically a missed start away from a uh, thousand yards last year was a massive, massive player against OU in both of the, the, the games, I believe, because he is a full foot taller than uh, Bookie Radley Hiles, um, who is both short and slow, uh, which is just something I love to see. Texas has moved Devin Duvernay inside to the slot receiver because he is one of the fastest guys on the team and a surprisingly tough runner. Malcolm Epps is going to be a problem for people wherever you put him at. Uh, Brendan Eagles is a guy who had a ton of... Um, Potential last year, he's out currently with a with an elbow injury, but will be back for game one. Joshua Moore was a guy who we expected a lot from, but uh, his future is a little unclear after this week. Uh, it came out that he had been arrested on a weapons charge. There's a lot to choose from. We haven't even mentioned the senior John Burt. We haven't even mentioned uh, the freshman Jake Smith, and I'm 35-ish seconds into this conversation. So... If there's an embarrassment of riches, it's got to be the wide receiver room. And in a conference where you're probably going to have a couple of shootouts, that's a good thing. <sighs> I thought we would never get here, Gerald. I, I, I love talking offensive line with you. It, it's great. But I played two positions. I played safety. And I played wide receiver. When I watched football, I watched those position groups. I'm a bit biased, but I've been watching a lot of our receivers. I think, um, obviously, we, we've had a little bit, you know, attrition here. You have the Brew McCoy. Um, you have kind of a little little injuries. Alvante Woodard um, is going to be out. We have um, the, what's going on with Josh Moore off the field. We have Brennan Eagles um, kind of getting uh, his elbow scope. Should be back. But um, th- there's, there's little microscopic kind of death by paper cuts. But this is, if you have to have those things happen, this is probably the area where you're, you're best built to sustain it. I mean, I'll start right at the very top, and I, I won't belabor because we know what Colin Johnson can do, but he did 44% of his production. And really, if you take, like you said, the first OU game where he had 81 yards in, in a touchdown in that as well, um, but had three 100-yard big, big games. He had 44% of his production against OU in the Big 12 t- title game, Iowa State, which was crucial to winning um, that game and kind of setting the tone for the season, and then TCU um, in 26 catches for 433 yards. He had 552 yards in the other nine games. So... The one thing from Colin Johnson is they're going to double you, man. They're going to bracket cover you. They're going to throw stuff to try to take you out of it as you're probably the most dangerous threat. The elite NFL talent receivers find a way to still get theirs. And obviously that's the other guys we're going to talk about down below him on that list, stepping up and making plays where you can't do that. You can't intentionally walk the guy because the guy batting behind him also drives in some runs. So to, to mix my metaphors here. So there are some things there, but I, I do have some questions, not the talent, not the work ethic, not the perspective, not nothing about him, but just actually doing it consistently and, and being, you know, being at that level where we kind of griped uh, when the preseason, all big 12 team came out that he wasn't on there because there's some truly otherworldly receivers in this conference. And I think he has just as much talent and I want him to prove it this year. The, the big stat 
beyond him that I love that's been going around um, is that, you know, Devin the Duve didn't drop a catchable pass in the entire uh, 2018 season. Now, you talked about if he could have had one more step or Ellinger could have brought just a smidge off it and he could have made, you know, one of those catches over over the middle. But I, I think he is primed for a breakout year. And then the guy we've talked about a little bit here who we're really excited about from the spring game, the leading receiver, Malcolm Epps, you know, the long history of basketball players who've, who've gone on to be elite pass catchers, often at the tight end position. Um, but I mean, really in this positionless football, what's a big, you know, giant slot receiver, except a tight end who doesn't do the blocking part of it um, at six, six with an 82 inch wingspan and a crazy vertical. Um, I mean, it, he's the type of player you can just run that end zone fade and he can go catch it in the stands and still be standing in the corner of the end zone. Cause he's got arms, he's got jump, you know, he, he's, he's just, he has all the tools to, to be uncatchable um, in his specific weapon. We'll see how he grows that. Um, and then the, the kind of package I, I just alluded to here, the first four I'm listing, Brennan Eagles, um, a guy who has all of the talent to make, you know, just to make you salivate on what his career can be. 6'3", 220 plus. He, in high school, had the second highest spark grade as a senior. Just has elite athleticism plus size. Um, they have a, uh, a, I'm calling it the horsepower package. You could call it the four horsemen. I think that's also uh, a good name, but it is those guys I just mentioned. Again, 6'3", Brennan Eagles, 6'6", uh, Malcolm Epps, 4'2", 40, Devin DuVernay, and, and, you know, big, giant, fast, pass-catching Colin Johnson, and they just run four verts um it, it maybe call it the bomb like like uh, nfl blitz i think it's nasty what you can do with this unit and we haven't even talked about the weapons that you supplement that with so that's where i say we could spend you know a good a good hour like i'm curious to see what else they do this year don't just line colin johnson up out on the outside and say go beat your man one-on-one why not motion him into the slot why not put him in the slot you have other big outside guys kind of fish for those 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 matchup problems that you can create make them put a you know uh, a safety over them or god forbid a linebacker um you know or 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 a not you know or take their number one cornerback off of the boundary i, I don't i don't hate any of that stuff. And, and I think this is the year that you maybe see what you can do with that because the options are quite a bit. Um, I mean, obviously you're going to talk about Whittington motioning out of the backfield, also being a receiver. I think you could cro- throw him in this group. Cause I think he's going to have 30 catches this season. I really truly do. Um, I think, Jake Smith is a guy who every single coach, every single player, when they asked who the young guys looked like, they said they said they were surprised. And everyone knew that's the Gatorade player of the year, but they were surprised by how good he was. They were surprised how quickly he ran, not just off the line, but into his cuts, out of his cuts, how he maintained his full speed through the entirety of a route, how, you know, he's picking up the playbook, but as soon as he gets something, he has it. Like just the the uh, the kind of game-breaking ability that that I think he's going to bring that maybe has gotten a little bit overlooked, and I hate to say that again because we've hyped us some Jake Smith, um, but just in in the kind of Whittington, we have the the clips as an early enrollee of of doing it, um, and then I will end here because if you don't stop me, I will talk for a really long time about this group because I'm excited. But John Burt, um, 
is kind of the clubhouse favorite for the gas camp award, which is kind of the breakout senior. Um, there've been some really awesome stories of, of that player. Um, a guy who comes, you know, alive, maybe it's injuries that helped him from, or stopped him from being there. Maybe it's just a late season opportunity. Sometimes it's a guy who just contributes in all the right ways, especially teams or whatever. Sometimes it's a guy who truly does break out, um, and have a season. But I, I think, you know, Kirk Johnson was kind of my sentimental favorite with the injury. I'm saying I'd like to see some John Burt. I'd like to see him get a chance. We know he's an in a you know an Olympic sprinter type, or at least a, a Big Twelve you know conference and national um, competing sprinter. He has the speed, the athleticism, and you know he's got a dozen big bomb catches in his career at Texas. So, a little love for the senior. I'd like to see what he can do. I don't have anything to add. I think Kyle, that was a pretty exhaustive uh, <laughs> review of the wide receiving group. So let's just move on uh, quickly. We'll hit the tight ends. Uh, it's nobody but Cade Brewer, right? Like Cade Brewer is the man. Um, Leitao looks the part. Doesn't really hasn't really stepped up. Uh, Lee Brock and, and Wiley, I think, will probably be able to take their red shirts this year. Jared Wiley did the smart thing and enrolled early because he has a bit of a longer on-ramp. He was kind of a do-everything guy for his high school. Uh, I believe he played quarterback his Mm -hmm. senior year for them Mm -hmm. because he was just like the most talented guy on the team. Um, So when when Texas plays, and these aren't traditional tight ends, these are your flex tight ends. These are your guys who are playing uh, in the slot. They're flexed out, but they're also both big guys that can block somebody. So... Uh, we've got to move to the defense or this show will end up being three hours long. This defense has a chance to be good. They two years ago were one of the best defenses in the country. They wouldn't give up a third down uh, if it meant them getting a million dollars. Uh, some of them got several million dollars because they wouldn't <laughs> give up a, a third down first def, uh, first nationally and touchdown scored eighth in rushing defense missing some NFL guys last year. They had a bit of a slide. I think that also, that also speaks to how good the big 12 was last year. Uh, the big 12 probably sported three of the top offenses in the country, maybe four, if you looked at it right. Mm-hmm. And they still were good enough to, I don't know, beat a team that claimed they should have been in the college football playoff and hold Jake Fromm to a really, really terrible first half of football. So I think the, the, the question here, Kyle is they lose a ton of experience. A lot of seniors, are gone. All of the linemen, all of the linebackers, both of the corners. And so really the only returning starters they have are the two safeties. So with that being said, though, the level of talent has increased quite a bit. Um, They're very, very young and we expect them to be very, very multiple. Uh, Todd Orlando talked about how basically at every level, everybody is cross trained. So, all, all the linebackers are training at all three of the spots. Um, all of the defensive backs are training at all of the defensive back spots. Because they're so young, you, you have – that's kind of a blessing and a curse, right? Because you have a bunch of guys that are willing to learn a bunch of different positions. Uh, so where do we want to start? You want to start with the offensive line or the defensive line, Kyle? I think that's like – I just like to move front to back. So um, side to across side. the line, we're, we're looking at – yeah, I'm not a side-to-side guy. Mm. Not – no. So look, the front is going to be obviously Roach, uh, Keandre Coburn, and Taquan Graham. He's a guy that's been uh, getting a lot of talk. Another guy who's been getting a lot, a lot, a lot of hype is uh, Trevondre Sweat, a young guy who's been whose name has been name has been mentioned quite a bit. So there's a lot of 
Uh, a lot of potential. I'm, I'm excited to see what this line group can be because, again, uh, Brecken Hager was a locker room guy, but he may not have been able to produce on the field like we anticipated him him doing as a senior. Yeah, and and, and, I, and I hate that you missed the uh, the UGK segue I, I I set you up there for, but the uh, the the pimp C Keandre C being Coburn um, of this is is a guy who we have been. Um, we have been riding hard for, I know you want to laugh, I see it, uh, have been riding hard for uh, since he stepped foot on campus, and, and now's the time, I think, to see it. Uh, Wilbon, you know, had an injury, Gerald Wilbon, um, and so it kind of has been Coburn's spot. Uh, we'll see exactly if he's going to play 60 snaps a game or if they're going to limit kind of him. He's a big, big boy. Um, but I think what he can do is probably what was missed. I love Chris Nelson. One of my favorite longhorns the past five, six years, just a, a, a gregarious, awesome person, but you, you missed Puna Ford's ability just to kind of, and you're seeing it in the NFL, otherworldly ability. And, and I'm hoping Coburn can give some of that penetration into the backfield where the pass rush crum, comes from, you know, what they're able to do will really determine whether this is a good defense or a very good defense. Um, and, and, and again, we'll talk about the linebackers. That could come from that position. But I think, you know, Roach is, is a guy who's done all kinds of things. It will be um, it'll be to be seen if he can make that step and actually be a guy who provides consistent pressure. Taquan Graham um, is a guy who can do all kinds of things. He's I, I think he's ready to actually be the breakout player. Um, but I think this is a unit that you absolutely will see six eight guys i think you, you have a regular seven kind of man lineup at any given time and, and we, we're going to talk about um this defense and, and and what i'm calling the lols um lots of looks you're going to get crazy different looks there's herman joked about um a package they have where uh, a third down package where they they move roach to nose put uh osai and mccullough who are going to talk about a moment in the linebacker preview um at the ends and then throw eight dbs on there so i mean you're going to get some not so looks this season even with that and with moving guys around i think you have a deep unit they move moro jomo from end over to nose not a huge guy but just a guy who knows how to um dig in and kind of set the line um jamari chisholm and christmas giles are guys who we've been waiting to see especially uh deandre because his name lend itself so well in the recruiting process seemed like such a big get christmas came early we have not seen that we're hoping one of the two can kind of get in that rotation. Um, I really like Marquez Bimich to be kind of Breck Hager and be the disruptive pass rusher this year. So he's a guy um, beyond the kind of front, the, the, the starting three that I'm hoping to see take a step up and really, you know, assert himself in the regular defense rotations. Oh, and, and I think you mentioned, you mentioned what Texas needs from Coburn, whoever ends up at that nose position. We talked about it at length, you know, again, two years ago that, Puna Ford made the linebackers a ton of money because he occupied one or two blockers in the center. He'd basically grab the center, grab one of the guards and just sit down like, Hey, you guys are not going anywhere. He didn't flash a ton on the stat sheet, but you see what he's doing now in the NFL Um, as an undersized guy. People like I can't, I don't go a day without seeing someone on Twitter talk about how impressive of a run stuffer uh, Puna Ford is. And I think that, um, I mean, like Keandre Coburn has all of that. Uh, if he has the if he has the motor of Puna Ford with his natural giftings, he's got a chance to be an all timer at Texas. Like if if he matches his motor with his level of talent, he's a guy that you'll you'll be talking about 
in a few years as a, as a Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year uh, and getting picked up in, in by some NFL team uh, to helm their defense. And so the this. Oh, I was just going to say, I you just said that it kind of got me excited. I don't know why it popped in my head thinking about, I don't know if there's a defensive tackle you, but Texas would have something of a claim of it when you think not just your Puna, but all the way back to your Casey Hamptons, your Rod Rice, your Frank Ocams. Love that dude. Um, just some like some meat eaters, some space eaters, some space heaters, some dudes who just you park and they 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 are you know they they block it off for you. We've had some beef um, that is true to the Texas moniker. So I I'm excited, man. Coburn, I cross my heart and and fingers and I'm just praying, dude is is a legend because I, I I don't know if I've wanted a guy to be uh, that successful from the moment he was a high school senior uh, as much as I have with Coburn. Anybody that claps back at Baker Mayfield is good in my book. Linebacker is the position that I probably have the most heartburn about uh, at this point. Losing two guys that were outstanding players for Texas. Uh, just able to kind of have that defense and, and helm that defense sideline to sideline uh, just with that speed. So you're going to have a guy like Jeffrey McCullough who I was talking to, to Cody Daniel and Westcott about this both. And like the shark is possibly one of the best like pass defenders from a linebacker position that I've ever seen at the University of Texas uh, but does he have the speed to really do what he needs to do in that at that defensive spot uh, against the run game uh, Osai looking like he's going to be the the B backer uh, for Texas had a, a great close to last year uh, he's looking like uh, he's going to be the guy and and again this is a group where they all are cross-trained. We are going to see, and, and Osai talked about it. Uh, T.O. has got him learning all three positions. Uh, he and he and McCullough, McCullough's a, a McCombs guy, I believe. So he's, he's, he's able to pick up a lot of complex concepts. Uh, you know, Texas picked up Caleb Johnson as a Juco transfer, but it looks like he may not be uh, one in the starting group, but he's a guy that will probably play quite a bit. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of questions as far as who's really who are going to be the consistent guys for Texas week in and week out at one of the most important positions in this defensive scheme. When you when you look at you know Texas is running you know, a three two six or a three three five, you need consistent play out of your linebackers yeah there's two ways to look at it right you're, you're replacing wheeler and you bring in a guy the coaches really like uh dele as i'm only ever going to try that much of his name but uh at that mike position but he might be the biggest linebacker in the big 12 this year at 6'1, 250 listed so you never know exactly how big yancey's got him um if he can make that move and, and he can use that 250 to really kind of stuff and help support the interior then then i'm good with that but again in the big 12 we'll see exactly what packages we're running but i, I think if you take the most optimistic view here of shark, you know, having those, those fantastic drops, having elite hands. I mean, he truly, that Kansas interception, wonderful, had the spring game pick on Sam, um, could be a, a game changer and a playmaker at the linebacker level. Um, and then again, the trajectory that I'm watching closest out of this group is Osai, who earned the starting job in, in against Kansas at the end of the season and took it into the sugar bowl where he started and led the team in tackles against Georgia again, SEC, I'm using um, sarcastic quotes, um, but you know did that thing and and is only getting bigger and meaner and more experienced. Then this can be a good unit. Uh, you, you mentioned um, Caleb Johnson, who's tell me if you've heard this story before. A JUCO linebacker who probably is the fastest linebacker on this core brings speed 
Gary Johnson, you know, Juwan Mitchell, he's, he's a three to uh, play four kind of Juco guy who probably, you know, we'll see if he, if he gets in there, but with Gabriel Floyd kind of looking to be a freshman who came in and played out of need, it's going to be curious whether Mitchell or Cabenda or whoever kind of picks up some of that. Or again, you take it to the level we're about to talk about defensive backs. Does Orlando just say, you know what? Forget it. Like I have big, mean, fast, strong, tough, play bigger than they are defensive backs. If I just put them in linebacker type positions on the field up close, they've shown they can stuff the run. Do you have to think of this in the traditional and conventional sense? Does this start to break that position mold um, of what defenses must do, who they must put out on the field, especially when big 12 offense has, has kind of, it's shaken so far on the passing game that we talked about this on some of our preview podcasts. They now look to run a little bit more just to kind of give a new wrinkle, but they still throw the ball 40 to 55, 60 times a game. That's not crazy. And, and again, tell someone that 15 years ago and they think you're talking about a different sport. So I'm very curious with this group to see what our rotation looks like in, in game to game LSU versus say, I don't know, Oklahoma state or maybe, maybe whatever West Virginia is, or, you know, whoever's going to spread it out and throw it the most, I think you might get drastically different, almost like they're not even the same defense based on how this linebacking group uh, shakes out and who actually sees the field. And, and this linebacking group has, again, like we've been talking about at so many positions, the talent is there. I just need them to prove it. Like that's, that's the question. And I think, when we look at the defensive backs, two guys, you know, the defensive backs are really the only group of guys that have proven it. You know, you've got a guy like Brandon Jones who was considering going to the NFL, decided to come back. Caden Stearns, Big 12 freshman of the year last year, able to just hold down that spot in the center. Safeties are so important to this scheme. Uh, if those two guys can stay healthy and play a full year, I think we don't know. And we already know what we're going to get from them. Uh, but then you're losing, you know, you got Chris Boyd who, you know, you take the good, you take the bad. You got PJ Locke, you take the good, you take the bad. Uh, both guys that at least had some some snaps under their belts and had some experience under their belts. But where Texas is lacking in experience, I think they have a step forward at the level of talent. I think the level of talent uh, in this defensive backfield has not been higher since probably the 2002 to 2006 span where Texas was just putting guys in the league routinely. I, I appreciated the the subtle allusion to the facts of life when you said you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both in there. You have the facts of life, but also the facts of this secondary. Like you said, I, I, in a world where I think about Caden Stearns like this, right? In a world where, like I said, teams are going to throw 45 or 50 times a game. And that's just expected. And also in a world where we had guys get ejected every game for, you know, some of those hits, I would say, not every game, obviously, but multiple times last season with some hits that I would say three years ago, that's a football hit. You know, a couple of them were, were for sure a little questionable, but, but you know, where the game is going, I think the single most valuable thing you can have, especially on this Texas defense, is a player like Caden Stearns, a rangy guy who can get sideline to sideline who can literally sit back in a cover one scenario and just be a true free safety a guy who he will hit you but his preference is to go up and knock the ball out of your hands to go up and steal the ball for you i think 
Brandon Jones doing kind of the cleanup, and he has that ability to cover. He's not necessarily a one-on-one cover guy as much, um, but he can still cover. I don't want to missell him. He, he, but his ability to come in and kind of enable Stearns to do that is what allows the rest of this to kind of flourish. But I, I won't beleaguer too much. I just really think that as Stearns adds tools to his game, remember, kid's 19 now. He was 18 last year. He's had his first college offseason with Yancey to bulk up to get kind of the more physical tools. I think he can have a truly special year um, this year. But I think that Herman quote about the having six starters at safety is, is vital to what I said earlier. Positionless football. You know, the, the Netherlands soccer of the 70s revolution. Total football. You play and you're good and you just kind of pivot to what the, the other team gives you and you can do everything. You're cross-trained enough to where you can come up, maybe not play a boundary corner, but anywhere inside of there, whether it's a more traditional linebacker responsibility of playing the run, whether you're on underneath routes, whether, you know, what whatever that hybrid package looks like. Having guys, I just think, I, I mean, I, I truly think Chris Brown's another guy, the fourth-year junior, who's a candidate for, you know, casual fan, had no idea that at the end of the year they were going to know this guy so well. He's a name that people are going to know because he, he can do a little bit of everything. I think Josh Thompson, sneaky guy for the fastest person on the team, still got burnt last year a couple times, could have the biggest improvement from what we saw last year to what we see this year. And if that happens, watch out defenses. I mean, this this too deep is really a four deep is a six deep. There's some really talented freshmen talking about the Tyler Owens and those guys um, that could make this a Adam Mora, make this a an, an eight deep, which is a, a ridiculous thing to say. But for my money, I will be watching Jalen Green, whether he can be the true Aaron Ross, you know, the, the game-changing cornerback. Um, if Deshaun Jameson can stop being Dion and actually put his shoulder into somebody a little bit to go with that game-breaking speed, um, and who kind of else from that cornerback group gets on the field with these really elite safeties, because I think, again, I am not from my just safety bias, but I think that's our deepest, most talented, richest, uh, embarrassment of richest position on the field. If cornerbacks can can at least keep up and match that and, and enable the safeties to do those things I talked about that are kind of hybrid things and support the linebackers in the run because they don't have to worry uh, so much on you know deep pass. They have the lockdown. If you can do the things that Orlando likes to do and he's able to fully equip that, then again, you're not worrying about the defense, especially when you get into the Big 12 and our offense is hammering other people's defense. You're not worrying that this team, you know, has to do has to do a little extra and again I'll just close on this third downs let's get back to where we were in the first year if that happens if we can get stops take the ball away just play big on money downs this can be a top 2 unit in the Big 12 and and I think it it just comes down to again I'm getting tired of saying it if this team plays up to the level of talent which there is no group I think with more untapped I'll say it talent than this group. I think we, we know what the talent is at wide receiver. There's a lot of untapped, um, unproven talent at the at the defensive back position. So if those guys can can tap into it, I think they're great. So quickly, it wouldn't be the Longhorn Republic if we didn't talk about special teams. Uh, we know there's a lot of known situations in, in the kicking game. We know Cameron Dicker, zero questions there. Uh, he set freshman records for scoring, set freshman records for field goals made. Um, 52 of his 83 kickoffs went for touchbacks. Average 63 yards per kick. Kyle is giving me a thumbs up because I threw some kicker stats in these show notes. Uh, Ryan Bushevsky struggled early last year. I was worried. I thought he was not going to uh, 
live up to the standard of his cousin. And then somewhere in game seven, something just happened and he upped his production. Uh, if you look at those two different halves and I did a whole like full several hundred words about this by like five yards per punt. The first six games, he was at like 37.4 yards per punt. The final eight games, 42.76 yards per punt, a full five yard difference, which for context, the difference between the top punter and the bottom punter in the big 12 was just three yards. (laughs) So if he's able to do half of that and add that, Uh, He's one of the best punters in the conference. It wasn't just the distance from the young Aussie. It was the location. Seven of his nine punts longer than 50 yards came in those final eight games. And 11 of the 18 punts that were down inside the 20, guess what, came in the final eight games of the season. So it wasn't just distance, but accuracy as well. I think uh, when he finally figured out what the heck is going on in American football, he was able to get things going i think the big question that we have is is the returners yeah i think that's that's where we have the big questions we know jameson is probably going to be one of the guys he was doing it last year quite a bit but uh i don't think they'll put brandon jones out there again on punts and i don't think that we really know who the other kick returner is going to be so that that's my big question when it comes to special teams yeah, and I think you're right to question that. I think you know Jameson had the 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 marquee play. It was kind of Texas's one home run of the year. He had the uh, the Kansas State punt return touchdown that went all the way uh, kind of end to end across the field. Um, you take that out, and he averaged 3.5 yards per return outside of that. Now, I know Coach Nivard, and, and he preaches kind of the um, no mistakes, no turnovers is is a is a is a victory for special teams, right? If you're not fumbling the ball, you're holding on to it, we'll take 3 yards. You know, big plays are great, they are better, but at the base. So so if that's the mentality, then you know, I'm curious to see where we're going to get and I'm curious to see who the player is who's going to get a chance on there if it's not Jamison to uh to kind of help out with that and and I think focusing on some of the blocks because it's also not just the returner. If there's a free man running at you, there's only so much you can do. But I, I do think that a season long of 29 on the kicks and, and averaging 20 yards per, per kick return there um, is not not great. And I hope that's an area we can make improvements. And I'm just going to go back just briefly to, to Buchevsky. I hope that in this offseason, he got a call from Colt McCoy. Doing the impossible, only Colt McCoy can understand to replace college football's best quarterback best player of all time was was a mountain on Colt's shoulders that first year he had to come in and take the mantle from Vince Young Buchevsky had an even bigger task the greatest punter ever in the history of the sport Michael Dixon is your cousin and to live up to that with his head right now with that burden off of his shoulders like you talked about I'm ready. I'm ready for the kicking and punting takes to flow this season and for us to be be singing the Bushevsky praise. So quickly, Kyle, with the risk of this becoming a really long podcast, sounds like you and I are both drinking the Kool-Aid. So Mm. quickly, what is your prediction or your thoughts for 2019? If if Tom Herman uh, gets the kind of bug out of his system that is playing down exclusively to opponents where – um, the teams that you shouldn't beat you, or you should beat, you enter kind of risk into that equation by playing them so close that 
a bad bounce, a bad thing can can change that and you lose a game you shouldn't. Let's say we get that out this year and that is my hope. Then I think this game comes or this season comes down to four games. At TCU, at Iowa State, OU in the Cotton Bowl, and LSU at home. If you take a conservative stance and imagine that Texas wins two of those four, and again, two of them on the road are going to be tough, but say you win two of those four, I think you're looking at a 10-win season right there. Um, If you do any better than that and you take care of business, I think you can certainly have a Big 12 championship this season. I think OU is very good. I think they might be slightly, just ever so slightly overrated. I think Texas can play on a field with OU and be just as good as them. Um, I think they will have the better quarterback in that scenario, and we'll talk in our preview about specifically what it is. But I think Texas can handle LSU at home. I think they can handle OU in the Rose Bowl, or excuse me, well, in the Rose Bowl, in the Cotton Bowl. Um, And I think they can easily go to TCU or Iowa State. One doesn't have to be both. I hope it's both. But one of those and and win on the road in one. So if you allow yourself the chance that, that something bad happens, then then you still get ten wins uh in that scenario. So I'm 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 comfy on ten. I can see a scenario where this team goes undefeated in the regular season. <laughs> I can also see a scenario where this team drops a puzzling game on the road to Whoever, right? West Virginia? Uh, they don't have many road games yeah. this year. They really don't. They have very favorable. Yeah. So, like, my my tempered expectations, I think, is right around another 10-win season. Like, that to me feels, feels fair, right? Because LSU, Vegas probably knows something because Texas is now. We talked about it. They were even. Last week, Texas is a one-point favorite. Uh, so if you took Texas at uh, plus seven, you might make some money off that game. Uh, shout outs to my bookie. Um, so I think, again, there, there's a scenario where this Texas team is somehow better than people are giving them credit for. And the Big 12 is not as good as people think this year. I, th- I think I think when those two things happen, I think Texas has a legitimate shot at their first Big 12 championship since... Stone Age. The national championship year? Yeah. I, was that? I think you're right. The Alabama national championship game. I think it's the last time Texas won a Big 12 championship. So, like, I think that. And then I'm officially, I'll be okay with declaring Texas back if that happens. I like that. I just I just want to reiterate, the only true road games that Texas plays this season, I'm counting Rice as a home game because there will be more Texas fans at NRG. <laughs> At Baylor, the second to last week. So by that week, or excuse me, I'll I'll just start here. At Iowa State on November 16th, the third to last game. By that point, this Texas team, barring knock on wood, some unforeseen ungodly injuries, should be as good as it is. You're getting towards the ceiling rather than the floor. Next week, at Baylor. If you go back from there, the only other they have at TCU, which I mentioned, and then at West Virginia. That's all of the road games. So if the Chris Del Conte Stadium Rockin' Era continues like we think it is, and in looking at the season ticket sales, it looks like fans are ready to show out and show up, then, again, 10 wins is is easy. I mean, it's never easy, but no no injuries, no crazy things. This That nine wins is, is, is a great season, but you're a little bit disappointed. I'll say that. 10 wins is the expectation, and I'm comfortable saying that as much Kool-Aid. Feel free to at me. So next week we'll be back with our first season preview for 2019. 
I'm excited. You're excited. We're all excited. So now's the part of the show where we give you the rundown of all the stuff that we didn't necessarily have time for in the rest of the show because there was a lot this week. So Texas picked up two more massive commitments from the 2020 class. They stay at number six in the country, uh, but upped their average star rating to number three with like, I think a 93-3 average star rating. So 2020 safety, Xavier Alford, who has the best nickname in high school football, the 100-yard landlord, uh, four-star safety from Shadow Creek, uh, number 141 player in the nation, Big guy, but can still move six foot 182, running a four five 40 yard dash. Uh, kind of one of those center field big hitting safeties. Uh, and then it's also good because he's an AM lead early. Haha. Uh, and then Texas picked up later in the week another offensive just star, Quentin Johnson, 2020 wide right receiver from Temple, six four hundred and eighty. So he's that big Colin Johnson type. And he's a jumper. He won the dunk contest at the Texas Stars at night camp. Uh, on the diamond baseball, this this baseball staff is just ridiculous. So they weren't content with adding one uh, MLB star. Houston Street coming back, putting on the burn orange, going to be an assistant coach on the football team. Uh, his four years on campus were all All-American years. He was the most outstanding player in the 2002 College World Series in which Texas won, uh, was the USA Baseball Dick Case Player of the Year in 2003 and had 41 career saves welcome back to houston uh and then uh, texas had a vacancy at strength and conditioning and decided to just do what they do and go out and hire the best in the industry uh andrea hootie who was the basketball uh strength and conditioning coach at kansas is now going to be the men's and women's basketball strength and conditioning coach at the University of Texas. She was with Kansas for 15 years. Uh, she was the strength and conditioning, conditioning coach of the year in 2003 and was a strength and conditioning coach for UConn during eight national championship runs. I don't think that's the ceiling for Texas this year, but as we talked about a lot last year, it looked like they ran out of steam toward the end of the games. So let's see what they bring to the table but now is the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week well i was very verbose during our season preview so i'm going to keep this relatively brief there's a few things that you read on the internet you immediately if you know me like gerald does say this sounds like kyle there was a perfect confluence this week when bruce feldman a Longtime uh, fan of his, uh, the the lead uh, one of the lead college football writers for the Athletic. Now, just a really talented guy, knows his stuff. Um, went on, I don't know, some some local um, closed circuit radio or whatever, um, Texags radio, whatever you call that, um, that, that caters to the 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 Aggie market and and gives all kinds of previews. He said some good things. I think he said Elko was a was a top defensive coordinator, which you know of course has been widely advertised. The thing that Texags did not advertise quite so much on that that radio broadcast was that Bruce Feldman went in and and much like Gerald and I did gave some season predictions and he said the Aggies they have one of the toughest schedules in college football. It'll be nearly impossible for that team to make it to the college football playoffs. However. There is a team in Texas that on the Texags radio broadcast, the godsend Bruce Feldman picked to make the college football playoffs. That team? The Texas Longhorns. Hook them, Bruce. 
Ah, it goes down smooth. Give me some more of that Kool-Aid. Uh, so my bang the drum, Sports Illustrated had a headline that just makes me feel good inside. Sam Ellinger was born to bring Texas football back. Now, I said just a few moments ago that if Texas wins a Big 12 championship, then I'm okay with declaring them back. And I think Sam Ellinger might be the guy to do it. He uh, bleeds burnt orange. He's a guy that will stay all four years and be a um, captain for probably two of them, which is great for him. But he's just a guy who can be the emotional heart and the emotional lead of your team. And I love seeing him getting the national recognition that he deserves. Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, which is a national brand at this point. Um, But just seeing Ellinger, Joel Klatt today, uh, Monday when we record, said that Sam Ellinger was the number four quarterback in the country. Like, these are the types of accolades he's getting. And he's, he is the guy to bring Texas back. And I think if he continues to build or is at least just as good as he was last year, I think Texas may officially be back. Man, uh, you know, the, Sam Ellinger is so good right now. Everything the guy touches is gold. If you haven't watched the uh, the Longhorn All Access of him driving Colin Johnson around, uh, Sam can make no wrong turns, and I cannot wait to see that uh, that carryover to the football field. Uh, Texas, we ready to be back? That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Well, uh, I feel like I was a little rushed this week. It's only probably a, an hour and 45 minute podcast, but uh, if you want more of my takes, the two hour, the three hour version, the the extended musings, you know, that, that I couldn't squeeze into this very short podcast, then follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can always shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until our first preview, hook them. Hook them. Don't let that magician hypnotize you.